Good morning. Let me pull my mic back a little bit. I talk loud. Scapoose Troop 294. Attention. Prepare to post the colors. Forward, march. Troop, post the colors. Ladies and gentlemen, please rise. Join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. Color Garden, Fallout. Thank you. I'd like for you to join with me as we pray for our country, for our nation, and for people. As long as murder is in the heart of man, and murder has been in the heart of man ever since the fall, there has been a need for those who will stand guard and stand watch. Sometimes when you stand guard and you stand watch, you fall into harm's way. Memorial Day is about a time where we remember those that have stood in the gap to protect family and country. So let's pray for our country. And we'll pray for those that on this day, tomorrow, will be remembering those losses. Those loss of fathers and brothers, husbands and sons. That the God of peace would be their comfort and their strength. And we'll pray for the greatest kingdom, the kingdom of God would come. And the Prince of Peace would return. Because when he comes, then justice will be here. Peace will be in the land. We won't have a need for those to have to stand guard and stand watch. Because the King of Kings will be here. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege to be able to live in this country. The privilege that we have that's been afforded to us by you and and, and just your sovereignty in choosing to place us here. Lord, we we are a blessed nation and a blessed people. There are people, many people throughout the world today that are living in turmoil, that do not have the freedoms to worship you, to gather in peace, to gather as families to honor you. Those freedoms are free to us, but they come at a cost. The cost of life. Those that have stood in the gap to afford those freedoms to us, we remember. We pray blessings over those families that have paid that sacrifice. 
We pray comfort over them, that you would be the God of peace that would guard their hearts and their minds. Holy Spirit, may you be present during this time of, of remembering. And may we never take for granted the freedoms that you've afforded to us. But God, we would be remiss if we would not remember the one who really gave it all, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that we might live. So Lord, this morning as we honor you in worship and study of your word, Lord, may we celebrate this freedom as those people that are freed. Because Lord Jesus, you've made us free. And the Son that's made free, those are free indeed. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand. Our risen King is here with us through the Holy Spirit this morning. Let's say good morning to him and welcome him in this place. Then I'll praise be your Almighty God of love, be welcome in 
you're here with us. Oh, every time we get in your presence, we are so overwhelmed by your awesome mercy, your love, and your grace towards us. I see the work of your hands. Galaxies spin in our heavenly dance. Oh, God, all that you are is so overwhelming. All at once it's a gentle and thundering noise, oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming. I delight myself in you, captivated by your beauty. I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by you. Unashamed because of mercy I'm overwhelmed I'm overwhelmed by you I know the power of your cross Forgiven and free Forever you'll be my God All that you've done is so overwhelmed your presence. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by you. And God, I run into your arms. Unashamed because of mercy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by no one more beautiful. You are beautiful. God, you are the most beautiful. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. Oh, God, there is no one more wonderful. You are wonderful. God, you are the most wonderful. You are glorious. You are glorious, oh God, there is no one more glorious. You are glorious, God, you are the most glorious. I delight myself in you, in the glory of your presence. I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by Unashamed because of mercy, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed by you, I'm 
continue to worship God. Worship now as we give tithes and offerings to our God and we pray. And ushers, would you please receive the morning offering? God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that we can stand here and sit here in your presence, bask in your beauty and be reminded of what a wonderful, loving, great, awesome God you are. And so we have gathered here this morning at your footstool to ascribe all the glory that's due your name. As we continue to worship through song, we also display your glory by giving back to you. To say thank you for all that you've given us, all you've provided for us resource-wise. We do this in obedience to your word as an act of worship. Be honored this morning as we give in Jesus' name. Amen. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. Believe it, church. I worship you. I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who In every heart, worship you, worship you. You are here, healing every heart, worship you, worship you. You are here, turning lights on. That is who you are. That is who you are. 
Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. for us that you gave your life reminds us that you never leave us you never forsake us and everything that we believe in is based upon the truth of your word doesn't matter how we feel this morning all that matters is that you are faithful And you are true to your promises. And so we thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship you. To remind ourselves of who you are. What you've done for us. Now as you teach us through your word. We open our eyes, our ears to your understanding. Because we know. You are here, moving in harmonies. We worship you. We worship you. You are here. You're working in this place. We worship you. We worship you. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. I have a question for you. God knows the answer. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time you shared Jesus with somebody? You think about that, and you're going, oh crud. 
I got to thinking about that, and I thought, well, why don't people share the gospel? We call ourselves Christ followers, and, and we are, and, and I know in many ways I'm preaching to the choir that's sitting out here. But I was thinking about, in light of the situations that are going on in our world today, our calling and these things, and, and so I googled top ten reasons why people don't share the gospel, because you know you can Google just about anything. One of the reasons is you believe sharing the gospel will hurt your relationship with your friends. Have you ever not shared the gospel because you thought, well, I don't want to cross that line. Another reason is you think that your life is enough of a witness for people to see Jesus. They can see it in my actions. I'm a silent witness. Another reason is and quite often I find that you just don't know what to say. How do you share the gospel? What do I say? Another reason is it's easier to invite someone to church and let the pastor do your job. <laughs> don't say amen to that. <laughs> Doggone you people. Another reason you really don't understand God's grace. Really the depth of grace. Another reason, uh, you don't really care about the salvation of others. Ouch. Another reason, you're just afraid you're going to mess something up. And I've heard people say that. Another reason is, you don't really believe it's God's will for you to evangelize. And also... A final reason, you don't want to be pushy or seen overly religious. Now that I've laid that guilt trip on you, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 3. Josh McDowell said this, Whenever Jesus has been proclaimed, we see lives changed for the good. Nations change for the better. Thieves become honest, alcoholics become sober, hateful individuals become channels of love, unjust persons embrace justice. You want to see the world change? Preach the gospel. If you want to see things happen, it's not about passing another law. We need to give them Jesus. And the church has been given our marching orders. And our marching orders is to share the gospel. And we share the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by anything that we do. We are conduits. We are vessels for the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. Praying for revival is worthless if you're not willing to open your mouth and share the gospel. You are the church. And you are commissioned by the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. And so when I asked, when was the last time that you shared the gospel? When was the last time you shared Jesus? You, should, you could say, well, yesterday or, or maybe today. Because it should be an everyday occurrence as part of our life. We should always be ready to share the gospel. Always be ready. Why? Because you never know when God is going to open up that divine opportunity for you to share the gospel. If you have eyes to see those opportunities, they will be afforded to you all the time. All the time. Every day. 
in every circumstance. And to be able to share the gospel is to be part of God's solution for somebody else's life. Today we're picking up in Acts chapter 3. Now Peter has already preached his sermon, the Holy Spirit has come, Jesus has ascended, and he is going about his daily journey. His, his, his daily activity with John as they'll go up onto the temple. And so within this, we've got to understand that the apostolic witness of the church in the account of Luke here in the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church, the apostolic witness is going out. The Holy Spirit's coming. They have the power to preach the gospel. And they're going out and doing it and sharing that gospel and making disciples to be those witnesses. Everything in chapters 3 through 5 really focuses on the initial evangelism of the Jews that are present in the holy city, in Jerusalem itself. So we see those accounts that are all part of this. And so what would happen is the disciples were meeting daily in the house. What were they meeting daily in the house for? For teaching, for instruction, for encouragement, for prayer. And from that, then they would go out to temple and they would worship. It's important to understand that Peter, John, and the other disciples, even in Judaism, they didn't abandon Judaism. They saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the Messiah, the promise of God for the Jews. And so in our world today, we look at this and we read backwards and we say, well, I'm a Christian, not a Jew. They would view it as, I am a Christian and a Jew. And they would continue in their normal worship and their normal practices. Why? Because they saw it as one in the same as Jews. They weren't divorced from their Jewish faith nor their worship. And so what would happen is they would continue in their daily journey, as we're going to see, and, and basically evangelism as part of their worship in their, in their Jewish culture. Peter and John were practicing what we should be practicing. Lifestyle evangelism. What is lifestyle evangelism? From the moment that you step out of your door, and maybe even in your own house, you're looking for those opportunities to evangelize. What is evangelism? It's sharing the gospel. It's sharing the good news of God. And the, that gospel message that is there. We need to always be ready to give people Jesus. That is what they need. That's the solution to man's deepest, deepest problems. I'm going to ask, I know we've stood a bit, but I'm going to ask that you stand um, as we read through uh, chapter 3. There's 26 verses. If you can't stand that long, that's okay. We stand out of showing respect for God's word. And let the Holy Spirit do the teaching this morning. In Acts 3, 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who has been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. 
And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All you Sunday school teachers are about to break out into song. (laughs) And all of the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that... He may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, when heaven, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him. You shall give heed to everything he said to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onwards also announced these days, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first. God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So what do we see first? Well, in verses 1 through 11, we see Peter and John doing what I said earlier, sharing Jesus as part of their daily witness, part of their daily testimony that is there. And their daily life, if you notice in verses 1 and 2, they were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. Well, in Jewish culture, there were three times of prayer, or three hours. The day would start at 6 a.m., and so they would go in at 9, noon, and 3. So in the ninth hour, they're going in, it's 3 in the afternoon. There was two sacrifice times. There was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. Those are the two times when most everybody was there. And if they made the lunchtime time of prayer, then that would be good. When we go to Israel and we make our trips, we see multiple times all of these, these times of prayers that were there. And it was, it was interesting to find out that you take a look at the culture and they were, they were in prayer corporately three times a day. They weren't going just once a week. 
they were gathering together for prayer. And it was part of the culture that was there. And so, again, they didn't see really a difference in the Jewish culture from Christianity. They saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah and the gospel that was given to them. And so what are they doing? They're continuing in corporate worship as a completed Jew, as a fulfilled Jew, to be able to to understand that they have that opportunity. Now, meanwhile, they're on their way up to the Temple Mount area, and they're going into that area. And we see also in verse 2 that at the same time, there would be a gathering, and there was a lame man that was lame or incapable of walking since birth. And he was brought up by his friends, as was the norm, to the steps over by the gate beautiful that was there in that place to beg. And you look at it and you go, well, they had people like that in the Bible? Yes. In fact, the pillars of the church were based off of prayer. It was also based off of the Torah. And it was based off of the worship. But benevolence was considered an act of worship. So what did it look like? Well, as people would come in for their times of worship, and as they would pass through the courtyards and they would come up, there would be lined up all the people. They didn't have a welfare system. It wasn't a state-run kind of thing. In fact, the temple was the state. The temple was the center of, of Jewish authority. And God established it that way. And benevolence was an act of worship. So as you were coming up to worship... All those that had need would be lined up on the steps and they were, they were surviving off the benevolence or the love gifts of those that were coming up to worship. And it was widely accepted. You, you were expected to be able to be benevolent to those that would come up in the process of going up and worshiping. Where were they? They were set down at a place called the Gate Beautiful. Now you really don't find it the gate beautiful in any other context within Scripture, and they really don't know for sure 100% of the gate. They're pretty sure of where it is. Josephus says it was called the gate beautiful um, because it was one of ten sanctuary gates that would come in 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 making entrance into the temple area. This particular gate was overlaid with Corinthian bronze. It was this huge bronze-laid gate that was set up in such a way, and it was just gorgeous. And it had a specific location. The gate was located, and I've got a couple of slides that I want to show you that are there, so you can kind of be oriented to it. So the gate beautiful is here, and this is the Nicanor gate here. Now, there is some confusion, and some people say, well, it was the Nicanor gate, this is the court of the women, and this is the whole courtyard area. It seems likely that the man would have been laid out on this side of the gate, on these steps. We have another picture, too, of the gate beautiful. This is the Nicanor gate that is there, but this gives you an idea of what the temple model would have looked like. This gate here would have been Corinthian bronze. It would have been very heavy because it was bronze that was, that was overlaid over the wood. And the, the thing is, tradition has it, that the gate beautiful was, was one of the special magical gates or, or miracle gates because there was a storm that came up as they were shipping this gate from Alexandria. And as the storm came up, they needed to lighten the load and they threw the gates over, over the side, right? You're going down. Who cares about a gate? I'm going to save my life. Well, as the, as the account says that as the ship was coming forward, the gate, the bronze gate, 
floated to the surface. And then they carried it forward. So, I don't know, it's tradition. But you think about how these things were attached to, to the healings that were there. And so the disciples would come up and they would go up through the gate and this guy that is laid out inside. And the text tells us that this guy was there regularly. Daily he was brought up. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 22, it tells us that this guy was about 40 years of age. Now imagine, you haven't walked at all in your whole life. And you're 40 years of age. And your support system brings you out to this gate, and that's what, that's what you're living off of, is the support and the benevolence of others. And so we find here in verses 3 through 8, where something changes for this man on this day. A unique day. He's been doing this every day. Every day his buddies pick him up. Every day he carries him forward. Every day he gets a little bit of pocket change, benevolence of others. And that's how he's surviving. And he's a 40-year-old man within this. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple in verse 3, he began asking for alms. Do you think this, this, that he would say this repetitively? How many times do you think that this man asked for alms? throughout his lifetime of begging. Multiple times. As people would go by. Alms, 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 right? So it would be this, this mantra, this repetitive action that would be part of just that, that encounter. He initiates the counter as people were going by, but he instead, and, and people would go by and he'd say alms and they would flip a couple you know, shekels into his little basket there and it would be good. That's what he's expecting. But in verse 4 it says, But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. What changed? Peter looked at him. Why? Do you think Peter knew who this guy was? Sure, he was there all the time. Part of the daily worship. If Peter was going up there even at minimum twice a day, he knew this guy. Would there have been other people all along the steps that were begging? For sure. Why this guy? Why this guy on this day? We never know the opportunities that God has for us, and by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, He would lead us, leads us to these opportunities. This man didn't wake up in the morning and say, hey guys, take me down to the gate, beautiful, I'm going to be healed today. He didn't say that. It was a normal day for him. Peter and John didn't get up and say, today we're going to look for that lame guy over by the gate, beautiful, and then we're going to bring healing to him. That didn't happen. So why is it different and how is it different? The work of the Holy Spirit will bring a prompting to your heart at the right place, at the right time, in an opportunity by which God sets. And, he, and we need to be sensitive to those opportunities, those still small things. And it can be part of your normal day, going about your normal business, and something switches inside you and says, you need to speak to this person. You need to talk to this person. And Peter responded 
Why? Because he was sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Him and John both together, which I think is interesting embedded in this, because we see the Holy Spirit speaking to both their hearts simultaneously within this. Peter states, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. I don't have silver or gold, I don't have the riches of this world, but I do have something that's better than the riches of this world. Question. If Peter and John gave this man a few shekels, how long would that last that man? A day. Would he have to come out the next day? What is better than just giving the guy a few shekels and moving along the way? Healing. Jesus. What is better than giving somebody a little pat answer to their, their problem? Introducing them to Jesus who has the answer for all of their problems. Silver and gold I don't have. It's not where you really need. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. This man needed Jesus. He needed the healing power that Jesus would provide. Because the healing power at that time, the healing that was set for him, would provide for his life for the rest of his life. If we give somebody Jesus and and the Holy Spirit transforms their life and gives them new life, now that they have that new life, they can live the fullness of life. The abundance of life, as opposed to just getting by. And there's a big difference between just getting by and living in the fullness of life. Just making it through the day. Or living in the eternal realm, knowing that you're loved. And so what did Peter do? Well, it says, as they came in, they looked at us and they said, look at us, pay attention to us. And he gave, and he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from him. Yeah, great, this is going to be a good one. Peter said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. This is a command, a present active imperative. It means you get up and do this now. It's a command. Can you imagine the guy? You want me what? Really? You're funny. Why did he use the name Jesus Christ the Nazarene? Because Peter wanted to make it clear that it was Jesus Christ who had just been crucified, the Nazarene that everybody would have known in Jerusalem, that it's under his power and authority in his name, in his name, that this man was going to be healed. He wanted to make it clear that it was this authority and there's great authority. Peter realized that he was just an ambassador on behalf of Jesus. He didn't have the authority. When an ambassador goes out, he is not the president, but the ambassador is the representative of the president. Peter is just the ambassador and he does something that's amazing that requires a ton of faith. Because I don't know that I would ever do that unless of course. He grabs him by the right hand and yards this guy up onto his feet. That would take great faith on Peter's part. And he pulls him up. And immediately, 
the text says that the man's legs, his ankles and his feet were strengthened. Question. Was this guy ever able to walk before? Did he ever learn to walk? He never learned to walk. And you think at 40 years of age, the atrophy that would have taken place within his body. The muscle tone, the lack of muscle tone. He's never stood on his legs. Peter takes him by the hand. And not only does... This has got to be funny. He pulls him up. The guy jumps up and he starts jumping up and down. He's jumping up and down. And he's leaping and he's walking and he's excited. Why? Because he's been healed. When you give somebody Jesus, and that life is transformed, they become excited. Because their lameness, spiritual lameness, the atrophy is all gone. And they have a new life. The hope of that new life. And the text tells us that he followed them into the temple to worship. You can't miss this part. This man's whole adult life was left outside on the steps and could never enter in to worship. He couldn't go into worship. He was forbidden by law to go into worship. God said the crippled and the lame are not allowed to come into my presence. Leviticus 21, 17 to 10 says this, or 17 to 20. Speak to Aaron saying, no man of your offspring throughout their generations who has a defect shall approach to offer the food of his God. For no one who has a defect shall approach a blind man or a lame man or he has a disfigured face, any deformed limb or any man who has a broken foot, broken hand or a hunchback, or a dwarf, or one who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or scabs, and I'll leave the rest of it alone. <laughs> Could you imagine, though, being that close to worship God and not allowed to go in? Your whole adult life. What did this healing bring to him? The ability to have fellowship and sacrifice with Yahweh God. You think about that. And he follows him in and he gets to do the one thing that he has had to watch from a distance everybody do. Powerful. Was that a reason to praise God? Absolutely. And he goes in with this, this, this praising that is going on, and he has this opportunity that is there to be able to do this. When you share Jesus, you are bringing hope to someone that they get to do what you take for granted way too often. They get to enter into the throne room of grace of God, they get to meet their Creator. They get to experience something they've only watched people do when you share Jesus, when you give them Jesus. You bring that healing. You think about this. 
That is a privilege that God has afforded to you and I as the church. To be able to bring that spiritual healing to the lame. Sin has marred us. But in Christ, all things become new. And this witness and this healing did something else amazing. Was it just for the healing's sake? No. Did Peter go around and heal everybody that was on the steps that day? No. And there's a reason, and we'll touch on it at the end. Because it forms a picture for us. Meanwhile, all these people that are watching this, what are they watching? They watch this guy who couldn't go in, now is inside. Do you imagine being the worshipers on the inside going, George, you're walking. How did... And they're amazed because the guy that was lame and begging that they've known forever to be on the steps is now inside worshiping with them. And they're in awe. How did this happen? By what authority did this happen? How has this life changed? If you notice verse 9 through 11, it says, All the people saw him walking and praising. They were taking note of him as the one who used to sit by the gate beautiful in the temple and begging alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, you bet he's hanging on to them. Peter and John come out. They come out of that temple. So they go in and they have worship together. And then they come out of the steps, down the steps, to a place called Solomon's Porch. I want to show you where Solomon's Porch is. Again, so you can orient yourself. So if the gate beautiful is right there. And by the way, this, the eastern gate is there. Mount of Olives is right here. So coming across the Kidron Valley, you would go up through the eastern gate and then through the gate beautiful. It was one straight shot from the east. Solomon's Porch is on the east side right in here. And you can see all the porticos. There was porticos that wrapped the whole side of the building. This is the southern steps. If you remember when we go to Israel, we see the southern steps here. And then we have Robinson's Arch and we have the western wall that is sitting right here. So you can kind of get an idea. When we've gone to Israel, we've gone underneath Wilson's Arch and then walked along the western wall, come out at the Antonio Fortress. And all you guys that have been to Israel with us are going, yeah, now I remember. What did they do? They, they went up. The man would have been probably up into this area in here, gone inside. They've gone into worship, into this section here, come out, and now they go along Solomon's Porch. What was in Solomon's Porch? All the vendors... That would have been there. All the people would have been gathering in that place. It was kind of a hangout, kind of a mall. It was just kind of a mall area where they would, people would set up shop and all these different things that would be in there. I think I have one more picture, right? Yeah, this shows the, the, Easter, the Shalom Gate or the Gate of Peace that goes right into it and then comes out this way. By the way, if you remember the staircases off the southern steps, that's why I had it up here, was, was off of this into this court of the Gentiles here. Jesus did much of his teaching in this area or into this area here. Why? Because he wanted access to everybody. So we look at this. What would have happened? They would have come out into this place of Solomon's porch, and the people would have been amazed to be able to see what was going on. Why the miracle? Why this one guy? Why healing this lame man? Why is it that that this lame man was being able to be brought forward. Because the single opportunity that God had afforded to heal this man was setting up a greater opportunity to share the gospel. 
You have no idea how God has planned out a single opportunity that can magnify into a greater opportunity to share your faith. To be able to do this. And when we serve others, we're really entering into that opportunity to share. And it turns into something that is greater. Many of you know that I, I serve as a chaplain. And I get called out on many cardiac arrests. And that single opportunity to be in that home when that loved one dies and to minister to that particular family at that time has opened up the opportunity for many of those people to come into this fellowship for us to be able to do worship services and to be able to do celebrations of life and to be able to honor them. Be ready. Be ready to give an answer. Be ready to serve in whatever capacity because you don't know how that is going to be used by God into a greater opportunity as Peter did. And so, as Peter served this man, he now has a greater opportunity to be a better witness, a greater witness. Note verses 12 to 16. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if it was by our own power? What does Peter need to do? He needs to answer the question. What was the question? How did this happen? How did this happen? If you remember in chapter 2, all the disciples were all given the gift of tongues to speak in languages that were not of their own. Was it really about the speaking in tongues? No. It was about the great event that set up the opportunity to preach. The, the helping, the serving is setting up that opportunity to preach. The kerygma, the gospel, which preaches Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. The same Jesus... Peter needs to answer their question. You're amazed because you don't know how this happened. Well, let me tell you how it happened. Let me tell you how it happened. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He does something that, that I think is important to understand. When you're sharing the gospel, use a common language that everybody understands. Refocus them. So what does Peter do? He uses what's called the, the, the patriarchal reference. And he brings them back to the covenant between God and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The authenticity that comes with this patriarchal formula that has the promised Messiah embedded into that patriarchal covenant. And so he says to these Jews, you know our dads, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were always looking for the Messiah, the promise of God, and that Messiah, the promise of God, had come with Jesus. The Nazarene. The same Jesus, the Nazarene, that you were guilty of rejecting. The same Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you turned over to Pilate, and Pilate tried to give him back three times, but you wouldn't do it. Instead, you asked for that guy Barabbas, the criminal. Would that story, that account, resonate with these hearers? Absolutely, because it just happened. And he says, and you did that. Me personally? No, as a nation, you did that. As a nation, you rejected. As a nation, you were guilty of delivering and rejecting the Holy One, the Righteous One of God. Now again, in, in our Gentile mind, we're like, well, what does that really mean? We don't get it. But the Jewish mind would say, oh crud. We're guilty of killing the Messiah. We are guilty of rejecting God's promise that He had promised 
generation upon generation upon generation upon generation earlier. We're guilty of missing it and rejecting that. How hopeless we are. One of the things that you have to do in sharing the gospel is share the necessity for the gospel. In other words, you have to bring to somebody their need. Why do I need to be saved? You need to be saved because you're a sinner. And your sin separates you from God. And the wages of sin is death. As, as a sinner, you are living a life rejecting God. And if you are rejecting God, this does not go good for you. You are guilty. For rejecting, and notice the words he used, you're guilty of rejecting the prince of life. You killed the prince of life. See how he uses the words? Very concise, not a long message. But, this is one of those good buts in the Bible. But, even though in human responsibility you're guilty of sin, divine sovereignty raised him up. As promised. There is a tension that exists between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. And I love the fact that divine sovereignty will override our mistakes and our failures. God's ultimately in charge. God raised up Jesus from the dead. God announced that He is His glorified Son. They announced that this Jesus the Nazarene was the suffering servant that you missed. They would have known Isaiah, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 52:13 to Isaiah 53:12. They would have known that there was a suffering servant of God, and the pieces would have all come together within us. I can tell you this: you don't have to tell somebody that they're a sinner. They all know it. They just don't want to accept it. In sharing the gospel, the first thing you have to do is share the fact that there is a necessity for them to be saved. And then second thing you share, God's sovereignty has provided a way out through Jesus to be forgiven. God's greater than their rebellion and their sin. That's the hope of the gospel. God is greater than you. That even while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. That God can forgive you of all of your sin and make you pure and holy and right. And God can take you, though you're lame and begging and outside of His presence, and make you whole and complete. And what do people want? They want to be healed. They want to be made whole. They want to be included and so, he answers the question, how was this man healed? Under the name of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus. Faith is only as good as what you put your faith into. And faith in anything but the name of Jesus is worthless faith. It was the name of Jesus, and this man had believed and reacted was there a worship team singing on the steps in order to escort this man forward? Was there a call to prayer? No. The man knew his need and responded to the name. 
And it was a divine work that God was doing because that was the day of His salvation. You don't know the day of someone's salvation. And you don't know if God has chosen you to be part of that day. So in light of that, give them Jesus. And in that, we preach. And what does Peter do? He preaches what they need to do to repent and to return. He exhorts them to repent and be forgiven, verses 17 to 21. Repent and be forgiven. Here's the pathway into salvation. Here's how you can be saved. Repent. Turn away from your sin, human responsibility, and God will forgive you of your sin, divine sovereignty. And you surrender your heart. You say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And God says, I know, but I needed you to say it. Now that we agree, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to forgive you on the basis on the name of Jesus, based on His work, based on what He's done. I love the fact that God has given them a second chance. Peter says, you killed him because you didn't know what you were doing. There is forgiveness for the sins of omission. It's given to us in Numbers 15, 27 to 31. You can read about it, meaning that God is the God of second chances. You say, I'm too far gone. I can't be forgiven. I've done too many wrong things. God, there is no way you're ever going to forgive me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. This man had been lame for 40 years with no power and never able to walk. And God was able to give him his legs and life. That was just an example of what God can do. You give Jesus your heart. He gives you a new one and life. He gives you that hope and that future. Peter was preaching repentance and hope. He was preaching the fact that when God forgives you of your sins, it says that He wipes away. It's an amazing thing when you think about what God... He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to crumple it up and I'm going to throw it over here. Maybe I'll go look at it later. Your sin is wiped away. The record is erased. And within that, He brings what Peter calls the times of refreshing. What are the times of refreshing? Well, the first time of refreshing is the time when God fills you with His Spirit and you're given that new light. And the Holy Spirit is working in you and refreshing you and giving you that hope. But for the Jews, the hearers, they would have been looking for that time when the kingdom of God would come. Paul would write about it in Romans eleven twenty-five to 26 He says, For I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. So you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all of Israel will be saved, just as written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness. Jesus had to ascend to heaven. Peter says he had to go to heaven. Why? Because there's a period of time when the Gentiles will need the gospel preached to them. When that time is done, then he's going to return. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. But he's waiting for that last Gentile to be saved. And if you're not sharing the gospel and keeping me out of heaven right now, I'm going to be upset with you. Get busy. 
All joking aside. God is doing a work. And we need to share the gospel. But he ends it with a warning. If you look at verses 22 to 26, it says, And Moses the Lord raised up a prophet after me, that every soul that doesn't heed the prophet will be utterly destroyed. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel forward. One of the things that I think is important to understand is that the consequence of rejecting Jesus is judgment. Ultimate judgment. And you have to make that part of your gospel testimony. You have to make that part of the decision making. Today is the day of salvation. God wants to save you. God wants to forgive you of your sin. God wants to to give you that new life. But understand this. If you reject that forgiveness of sin, you will be utterly destroyed. Say, Carrie, I don't want to offend somebody. I would rather speak the truth and risk the offense than have someone burning in hell and saying, I wish Carrie would have said something. You can be mad at me for a minute. But not mad at me for eternity because I didn't open my mouth. Share the gospel. The whole gospel. That God loves you and He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. That those that put their faith and trust in Him will be given new life. Will be made whole again. But if you reject that opportunity, you remain in the condition that you are, and even worse, utter destruction, away from God for all eternity, and eternal judgment and damnation. We need to preach the whole gospel. But I'm reminded of what Peter said at the end of his sermon earlier in Acts 2.21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will that be you? Are you ready to give that offer to anybody who asks? Everybody that you talk to? Please do. It's imperative for their salvation. Let's pray. God, I thank you. As we take a look at this passage and, and, and the pattern that Peter had set up in preaching the gospel. Lord, we realize that Israel, much like the lame man, was born crippled from birth, crippled by their sin. And as a nation, you came to them and presented their sin to them. They rejected you, Lord Jesus. And Israel remains in that condition. But in many ways, you turn your attention towards us. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And you were calling out for anyone that will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room or watching online now, that they would do that in the condition that they're in. Instead of looking for just making it through the day, they'll look for healing and wholeness. And they would say, Lord, heal me. Forgive me. Make me whole. I ask to be saved in Jesus' name.
for those of you that have come to faith? Are there people you need to give Jesus to? Pray for those people even now. As we close this song, may we make this song a prayer of our heart. light shine so when men see our good works we would glor- they would glorify you our father in heaven maybe this morning God's worked on your heart and you want to know how to accept Jesus you want to be able to pray if that's you you can see me after service there's comment cards in the chairs in front of you write down your name and phone number I'll get a hold of you this week God I thank you that your grace is enough for us your grace that saves us that while we were lame, You came and found us and restored our life. Lord, You want us to go out and to share that same Gospel. 
that changed our hearts with those that are around us. Holy Spirit, help us to open our eyes to those opportunities daily you give to us. Not knowing how those opportunities will grow into greater opportunities. We praise you and we thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.